Shalom, my friends, and welcome to the Roots of Flourishing podcast. I am Dr. Chris Lasante, and this is the podcast where we explore the roots of human flourishing through medical knowledge, philosophical reasoning, and theological insights. Episode 16, The Digital Revolution's Challenges to Our Humanity, Part 3, The Biologic, Lecture 1. Welcome to the third of our five-part series on The Digital Revolution's Challenges to Our Humanity. Last episode, we reviewed the profound effects that the digital revolution has on our psychologic dimension. Due to extra time that is needed to address some neuroanatomy, we will have a total of two lectures that address the digital revolution's biologic effects. This first lecture will outline key neuroanatomy and then review three types of stimuli that adversely affect us. The second lecture will then review the adverse effects upon both our brains and then our whole bodies. Concepts of balance and harmony are going to be as important in today's episode as they were in prior episodes. 1 Peter 2.19 says, People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Today, we will look at how the digital technology has mastered us through three things. The first is information novelty. The second is positive emotions, and the third, distractions. All three of these hijack and overwhelm our brains. Distractions make us inefficient, prevent us from concentrating on worthwhile tasks, and make us more anxious. However, the more concerning are information novelty or positive emotions, which when repeatedly presented to us, can result in addictive behaviors. These things make our brains and subsequently our entire lives out of balance, such that they are not working together in harmony, as any person looking at an addicted individual would quickly perceive. This essential aspect of balance and harmony is an underlying theme throughout, with balance prominently featured in the title of Stanford psychiatrist Anna Lemke's book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. So, how do we find balance when relating to the proper use of any tool? As we have discussed in prior episodes, it is vital to achieve balance through the self-transcendence of our psychologic dimension so we can avoid the tyranny of the psychologic while promoting harmony amongst our dimensions and ultimately becoming orientated towards achieving the basic goods. The basic goods again include life, health, marriage, friendship, work, play, knowledge, aesthetic experience, personal integrity, and harmony with the divine. Any addictive behavior leads to an out-of-balance person not working in harmony amongst the dimensions and usually harming one or more of the basic goods. This episode will review how the brain functions through an understanding of brain networks, neurotransmitters, and mirror neurons. We'll then analyze how addictive behaviors alter the balance and harmony of these brain functions. We'll briefly mention several additional adverse effects upon the rest of the body's health before wrapping up with recommendations about how to avoid these addictive tendencies before they enslave us. The function and structure of the brain is highly complex, 
but I think the concept of brain networks is critical to understanding what is happening to us and especially in addictive behavior. The authors Zhang and Volkow, both from the National Institutes of Health in their article entitled Brain Default Mode Network Dysfunction in Addiction, published in the journal Neuroimage in 2019, state, Large-scale networks and their dynamic interactions is necessary for proper brain function. These authors reinforce the general concept that a normal brain should have all the networks in the brain working together in balance and in harmony to regulate our thoughts, emotions, and desires to enable us to achieve the basic goods. A healthy brain also helps us to minimize our habitual tendencies towards self-centeredness and become more outward-focused. Brain networks are comprised of several nodes, and each node resides in a different part of the brain. All these nodes work together preferentially to achieve certain functions, and these separate networks in turn have connections with other networks, which again, when working in balance and in harmony, help to promote human flourishing through the moderation of our thoughts, emotions, and desires. The first is the executive control network. The executive control network is a collection of higher-order cognitive skills that are essential for cognitive controls to include attentional control, working memory, cognitive flexibility, decision-making, and planning, along with self-regulation. When the executive control network is dysfunctional, then a person is unable to manage their own thoughts, emotions, and desires, and subsequently, their actions. Dysfunction is common in patients with addiction and mood disorders, manifesting in easy distractibility, focusing too much on one thing, trouble planning or carrying out goals, and problems with impulse control, such as blurting out what first comes to mind. The next network is the salience network. Salience is just a word that means noticeable or important to someone or something. The salience network determines how relevant a particular piece of information is. Either sensory input from the external world or from your internal world of emotions and thoughts are all filtered by the salience network. The network helps us to ignore extraneous inputs to focus on more important tasks while conversely, it alerts us to inputs that are important. Abnormalities in the salience network are observed in anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, schizophrenia, and dementia, to name a few. The next network is called the default mode network. The default mode network is activated when you're not positively engaged in a task. This network produces ideas about the self, such as autobiographical and future simulations, and understandings and thoughts about others, otherwise known as social cognition or mentalizing. Mentalizing is when a person is trying to understand how another person is feeling or what they are thinking. Basically, this means trying to walk a mile in their shoes. The social cognition and mentalizing part of the default mode network points towards the truth of our social dimension. Additionally, this is an important area of the brain to activate to help us transcend our own psychologic dimension 
to embrace the other in either the social or spiritual dimensions. Recent research has also shown that the default mode network is also related to perceptions of beauty when we see artworks, landscapes, and architecture. This supports the notion that our humanity not only includes the social dimension, but the beautiful of the spiritual dimension. Patients with dementia, autism, schizophrenia, major depressive disorders, chronic pain, and post-traumatic stress disorder all show dysfunction and imbalance of the default mode network. For instance, in major depressive disorder, the default mode network overemphasizes notions and thoughts about the self and depresses thoughts about others, resulting in perseveration of negative self-referential thoughts, which is one of the main symptoms of major depressive disorder. The default mode network is both intrinsically out of balance in addition to taking preeminence over other networks in these disorders. Interestingly, our understanding of the brain has changed over the years, giving us insight into how the brain can change in response to behaviors. This is also known as neuroplasticity. You can think of it a bit like exercise that can help train muscles. The default mode network, in addition to other networks, can be changed by a variety of interventions that have been shown to change the connectivity and the relative dominance of the default mode network. These include antidepressant medications, psychotherapy, aerobic exercise, meditation, and even psychedelic drugs. I think it is very interesting that chronic pain problems are now being treated with a disassociative drug called ketamine, which has some psychedelic-type effects. This has proven to be very useful in decreasing chronic pain. This was evidenced through a friend of mine who had head and neck cancer with radiation-related neuropathic pain, who was treated with ketamine periodically with an amazing response to his level of pain. Disrupting the connectivity within his default mode network decreased his sensations of pain. These three networks are most adversely impacted in substance addiction, but also behavioral addictions, as we will see in these episodes. The last important network is the task-positive network. This network is preferentially active when we are engaged in task-related goal behavior, where we actively pay attention, focusing on the task at hand, usually using short-term memory, and being in the present moment. This network is less affected by addictive behaviors, although it can be adversely impacted by too many distractions. Now, let's talk about the role of neurotransmitters, and particularly dopamine. Neurotransmitters activate and regulate the firing of synapses, or connections between neurons. There are a huge number of neurotransmitters, but dopamine is the one important in addiction and most closely tied to our brain's internal reward systems. Dopamine is even released in anticipation of these rewards, in addition to certain behaviors and sensory inputs to include drugs. These reward systems direct our thoughts, emotions, and desires to propel our actions. Now, dopamine is natural, and thus it serves an important function for reinforcing good behaviors with rewards. Unfortunately, in addictive behavior, it becomes hijacked and overstimulated due to an unnatural environment. Gasoline and Rosen, in their book, The Distracted Mind, state, 
Data to support this assertion rests largely on observations of the dopaminergic system, which is crucial for all reward processing, plays a key role in both basic food foraging behavior in lower vertebrates and higher-order cognitive behaviors in monkeys and humans that are often disassociated from clear survival benefits. Gasly and Rosen set up the cause for why novelty of information activates our dopamine systems, propelling us to continually scroll or surf the internet. Lastly, mirror neurons are helpful for understanding our behavior and the problems associated with the digital revolution. Mirror neurons discharge both when an individual executes an action and when someone observes another individual performing the same or a similar action, either in person, in a picture, or a video. Additionally, it is important in perceptions of emotions and empathy for others. These features reinforce the notion that we are social creatures and that this is an essential part of our humanity. A lack of mirror neurons has been implicated in autism, thus explaining the aloneness and lack of empathy that these patients experience. The proper function of these networks, neurotransmitters, and mirror neurons occur when they are balanced and working in harmony, regulating our thoughts, emotions, and desires, making us psychologically balanced, which then enables us to pursue the basic goods ultimately leading to our human flourishing. This balance prevents our psychologic dimension from mastering our humanity, while addiction enslaves us to our psychologic dimensions. All our networks, neurotransmitters, and mirror neurons are made and have a good and useful purpose, since everything that God made was good. But, unfortunately, sin entered the world and tainted those things. Our brains are naturally wired to respond to a limited range of sensory inputs regarding novel information, positive emotions, and distractions. We pursue novel information since we are created in the image of God to pursue facts and knowledge to acquire both practical truths and ultimately transcendent truths. Thus, our reward centers are activated when we find novel and new information that can potentially help us to pursue these truths. In the past, novel information, including abstract information and images, was limited to just changes in our physical environment or new insights developed over time by our own thinking or in interactions with others. This novel information took time to develop and was challenging to achieve. For instance, there might be a change in my environment, like a new flower that has blossomed in the backyard, but it wouldn't necessarily be a new flower blossoming every 30 seconds. It would be one every day or two or maybe multiple all at once in the spring. Seeing these novel changes gives us a reward and provides a sense of joy that motivates us to go back out and look for other new flowers the next day or next spring. With the digital revolution, new novel information is nearly infinite and instantaneous with hundreds of thousands of hits for any sort of Google search to include information, images, and videos. The availability of information is both a benefit and a threat. 
I love it that I can do vast research without leaving my house. However, who hasn't been overwhelmed by the vast quantity of information out there? Our aim in using the digital technology is also critical to understanding whether we'll be prone to an addictive cycle or not. Generally, when pursuing the basic good of knowledge for either practical or transcendent truths, we will not typically get into an addictive cycle. The difficulty is when we pursue novelty for novelty's sake. Again, a little diversion is highly entertaining, such as when you catch that one cat doing something truly funny. However, with the digital revolution, we can now see nonstop videos of cats doing stupid things for no other purpose than the sheer novelty of it, which stimulates our dopamine-mediated reward systems, setting us up for a vicious, addictive cycle. The quantity of unnatural stimuli threaten to hijack and or overwhelm our brains, leading to binging and subsequent potential addictive behavior. The second area that threatens our natural neural circuitry is positive emotions. We were created to respond to social cues of acceptance and approval with the activation of our dopamine-related reward centers. These centers were activated commonly, but not with the frequency that the digital world can now provide. For instance, after giving a nice lecture, I might get a polite applause at the end. However, with real-time emoji feedback, I can get a near-continuous activation of dopamine throughout my entire lecture. It's the psychologic effect of getting a standing ovation every 30 seconds. Now, that's just not normal. And because it's not normal, our reward centers become overwhelmed, and we start to get a sense of an expectation of a near-constant affirmation and positive emotions with almost anything that we do, which is what also happens with social media. These are the same reward pathways and mechanisms that addictive substances also use. Additionally, social media companies now carefully titrate or modulate the emojis and positive feedbacks using a variable reward schedule through optimal use of both the timing and quantity of positive feedback that further leads to an addiction within these reward systems. Trevor Haynes in his Harvard article says, Instagram's notification algorithms will sometimes withhold likes on your photos to deliver them in larger bursts. So, when you make your post, you may be disappointed to find fewer responses than you expected only to receive them in a larger bunch later on. Your dopamine centers have been primed by those initial negative outcomes to respond robustly to the sudden influx of social appraisal. This use of a variable reward schedule takes advantage of our dopamine-driven desire for social validation, and it optimizes the balance of negative and positive feedback signals until we've become habitual users. So, through this quote and the rationale prior, we can see that the digital revolution, particularly through social media, hijacks and manipulates positive emotions to keep us coming back for more and keeping us online. We have looked at novel information and positive emotions that can activate our reward centers. Now, the last concerning issue with digital technology is distraction. Distraction has harmful effects on both those who are addicted and 
even on those who are not. First, distraction, especially through addictive cues such as cell phones, can trigger the addictive cycle. Many people addicted to their cell phones will feel great anxiety if they are not able to check their phones within 10 minutes, whether the phone is in or even out of sight. Additionally, multiple studies have proven that social interactions are negatively impacted by the merely visual presence of a smartphone, supporting the idea that the phone is a distracting cue feeding our addictive tendencies. Secondly, for those not yet addicted, the constant distraction can overwhelm our brain's abilities to filter out unnecessary and distracting stimuli to keep us on task. The salience network needs to do its job by allowing in important distracting information, such as when we are out in the forest and something moves, we need to pay attention to this new movement, as it could be a threat, such as a bear, or it could reveal some novel information, such as a rare bird. However, the digital revolution can easily overwhelm our natural salience network's abilities, resulting in more and more multitasking or task switching. This constant task switching then results in inefficiencies and a lack of concentration on primary tasks, leading to more anxiety and further harms to all the dimensions of our humanity. In summary, we have explored some important neural networks along with the reward system neurotransmitter dopamine. We discussed what a mirror neuron is and its importance in empathy. The balance and harmony of all these structures is essential to our well-being. However, the digital revolution presents three important unnatural challenges to our human flourishing. The unnatural quantity and availability of novel information, positive emotions tied to our social dimension, and lastly, distractions, all married to Silicon Valley's psychologic manipulation of us for economic gain, is driving more and more people into a behavioral addictive cycle. How this adversely affects our brain's networks and structures, in addition to other unhealthy effects on the rest of our body, will be the topic of the next lecture. Until then, wishing you increased flourishing as we press towards the goal of completing our humanity. Check out my show notes for references and additional resources. The show is also at rootsofflourishing.buzzsprout.com. Shoot me an email at rootsofflourishing at gmail.com with comments or questions. 